All right. Well, a couple weeks back, we started into our study on ecclesiology. And uh, as you see in there in the, the, your notes, it's ecclesiology, the study of the church. And uh, that's, that's what, uh, what ecclesiology is, the study of the church. We talked about ecclesia, which is a called-out assembly. Called-out assembly. And uh, that is the Greek word for what a church is. Called-out assembly. And as believers, we would say saved, baptized believers. Just a second. Um, so we asked the question first, where did the church come from? Where did the church come from? Where did it start, I guess? Where did the church start? And then the next thing we asked is why an independent Baptist church? Why an independent Baptist church? And then we started going through that. We took the word Baptist and broke it into an acrostic and started working through that. So why an independent Baptist church? We spoke first about Bible authority. We talked about Bible authority, which we've spent a great deal of time already discussing whenever we talked about bibliology. So we didn't spend a ton of time there, um, but obviously an important part. Talked about the... Uh, uh, the, sorry, uh, the autonomy of the local church, Christ being the head of the church, and he is the, the one that is supreme. He is the one that we submit to, the one that uh, we follow uh, above anybody else. And then we talked about the priesthood of the believer, and that's where we wrapped up last time. And we talked about the different sacrifices that we can offer, sacrifice of prayer, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of our possession, and the sacrifice of our person. So tonight we will pick up where we left off with the first T, the first T. According to Scripture, we only actually find two offices. Two offices, okay, in the Scriptures. And so you can find these. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, and that's where we're going to find look at these tonight. So 1 Timothy chapter number 3. As we think about the offices in the church and what they are, we find two offices and we'll flip over to 1 Timothy chapter number 3 as we learn a little bit about them. 1 Timothy 3, we find the first office being the office of a pastor. A pastor. Now, a pastor um, has various names that he is called by in the Scripture. And each one uh, has a specific, um, specific meaning behind it. And really, it's a defined role of what he is supposed to do. And so we're going to talk about those in just a second. But uh, before we do that, we see the qualifications of a pastor found in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. says this, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, okay, there's the word bishop, and we'll talk here in a second uh, about that being one of the words um, that we find for pastor. Um, uh, the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a, a, a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gra gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house, the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. 
We find these reiterated, really, uh, spoken about some more in Titus, uh, Titus chapter number 1. And these verses in verse number 5 says, for this, uh, excuse me, yeah, in verse number 5 it says this, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders, another word that we see for pastor in every city, as I have pointed of thee, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riotous or riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful words as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so we see some of the requirements um, that we find for a pastor um, uh, found here in the Scriptures. Um, a couple of things as you work down through those, those requirements in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Um, the first, first thing is he's supposed to have, there should be no truth in evil accusations. That's what it says, first of all. A blameless, that's what that, that means. He's, there should be no truth in the accusations that are made against them. It should be like, uh, you know, I mean, just very clear. When, if, if there is an accusation that's made, it should be very clear, and people should be able to look at that and say, no, there's no way that that's true. That, is no, that carries no weight. We know the character of that person. They are blameless. Um, not only that, the husband of one wife. The, the idea here is literally a one-woman man. Uh, that's that's really the the concept of this this verse specifically. In fact, um, whenever Paul was writing this, as he was dealing with these uh, with these things and, and speaking to these things to Timothy, as Timothy was was helping to uh, to get some of these things set up as far as uh, pastors and things, um, one of the the key things that was going on during that time was in fact polygamy. <laughs> and so uh, he was say he was literally saying, "Listen, you can't have multiple wives." That's not the way that this works. Um, you have to be a husband of one wife. You have to be vigilant. Uh, what does that mean? It's discernment, uh, a resolution to carry on after feeling um, feeling uh, lost or feeling after the feelings depart from you when you don't feel like it. That's basically what it is, to continue doing what's right even when uh, you don't feel like it. Number four, as, you, as we're kind of walking through there, next, sober. That means disciplined. Uh, and the life priorities, okay, being disciplined in, in the priorities of life. Number five, of good behavior, uh, that just means respectable. Uh, he needs to be a respectable person. Number, uh, the sixth one there, given to hospitality, um, that has the idea of being fond of guests. That's important, to, to be fond of guests and to uh, like to commute, uh, commune with people. Uh, pastors uh, should have a desire to actually be around people. Um, I heard a, a preacher recently who said, he said, I don't even like it when preachers joke about it when they say the, when they make the statement that ministry's fun if it wasn't for the people. He said, I don't even like that because he said, that's what ministry is. And it's true. Uh, that is what ministry is. It's all about people. And so if a pastor is not given to hospitality and doesn't enjoy people and being hospitable, probably not qualified to be a pastor. <laughs> in fact, he's disqualified, disqualified according to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Um, uh, apt to teach, that's, that's pretty clear, that he has an ability to instruct. Um, and, and verse number 3, not given to wine, that he avoids alcohol. This is super important, and uh, we, we can talk more about this. Uh, maybe sometime we'll do a study through uh, about what the Bible says about alcohol. I enjoy uh, teaching on that some, but our idea of alcohol today and the Bible's 
uh, what the Bible talks about as strong drink are very different. Uh, when we think of strong drink of the day, we think of like Jack Daniels. <laughs> and uh, whenever the Bible talks about strong drink, uh, literally that was at the very most alcohol uh, content would have been about 11%, which is the equivalent of most wines today. And so that was what the Bible considers strong drink. Um, and to get to that level, there had to be... Um, uh, yeast added to the grape juice to make it get to that level. So it had to be intentionally done um, to, to get to that point. And so um, important to, to understand that, that, uh, that it's, it's referring specifically uh, to, to alcohol. And so um, he says he, that, that he shouldn't be given to it. Um, no, no striker, the Bible says, um, that he uh, doesn't strike back. He's not somebody that's looking to get in a fight. You know, it's, it's kind of the idea. He's looking, looking for trouble. Um, not greedy. Uh, that uh, he's not controlled by money. Uh, that he's not greedy, filthy lucre, but, he, but he's patient. Not a brawler or covetous. Um, again, you know, he's, he's not somebody that's looking to, to get in a fight. Um, and then it goes on. Not a novice. Um, or excuse me, uh, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, so having authority over his own house, control of those things. Um, and then it goes on, not a, a novice. Uh, this is somebody that we shouldn't put somebody in, that's a, a pastor um, that's newly saved. Um, that's important, that uh, they need to be able to grow in the faith before they lead others in those faith, in the faith. Um, and then finally, the, the 13th requirement that we find there is he must have a good report of them which are without, lest you fall into reproach and snare of the de devil, which uh, just simply means a good re reputation in the community. Uh, the pastor shouldn't be somebody that's known by the community as somebody that is a rebel rouser and somebody that's uh, just constantly looking for a fight and somebody that's just constantly just full of pride in the community. That's obviously something that should not be uh, part of what a pastor is. Now, the five Greek titles that we find given to somebody that is called a pastor, somebody that serves as a pastor um, or called it this way, okay? The first one is episkopos, okay? And it's the word bishop, the word bishop. We find that in the Bible, in Titus 1, 7, and 1 Peter 2, 25, we find it here in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, if, a, if a man desires the office of a bishop. So, so what does this mean? Well, a bishop um, uh, or an episkopos is a believer set apart from those in the church for the purpose of watching over, nurturing, and caring for the needs in uh, of those in the church. Okay, so this is one of the roles that he has. He's supposed to be somebody that watches over, that, that presides over, that, that nurtures, that cares um, for the church. Um, and oftentimes this is this is something that a that a pastor should be doing. So this is this is one of the names that's given to him, but with that, it gives really some definition of some of the things, some of his ministry that he should be doing. Uh, the next word that we see in, in the Greek that's that's often used is the word presbyteros. And that's the word elder. Elder. We find this in the Bible as well. Okay? Um, this is a particular kind of leader whose responsibilities include directing the church. Okay, so this is a, a, a leader, somebody that leads in the church in a way that is, um, that is set up to give direction and um, to help with the direction that the church is going. The next word is the, is the Greek word poimen, poimen which simply means shepherd. We find this in 1 Peter 5.2, poimain. Um, 
to rule over a group of people conceived of as tending to sheep or goats. Um, this is somebody that's caring for the flock. Um, you know, we know that, that Christ is the, the great shepherd, um, but God puts under shepherds over the church to help to uh, give the people direction um, when it comes to things of the scripture and leading them uh, in a way. Uh, sheep left to themselves uh, won't move to new pastures. A shepherd has to move them. They'll sit there and just eat all the way down through the roots and until there's nothing left to eat. And so a, a shepherd has to move them from one place to another, to a place to another place, so that they can be fed. And as a pastor, that's one of the things that a pastor should do, is lead them through the scriptures and show them and, and teach them that way. Um, that's one of the roles uh, that, a, that a pastor should have, point main. The next one is a keruk. Keruk simply means a preacher or a herald. This is 1 Timothy 2.7 and 2 Peter 2.5 person who proclaims important news publicly, especially the news proceeding from God concerning the way of salvation. Okay, so this is, this is a herald, uh, somebody that will stand and proclaim loudly uh, the good news. And then finally, the last one is didaskalos, didaskalos, a teacher or an instructor. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 and 29, and Romans 2.20, a person who instructs others by imparting skills of knowledge. And so this is the, the one that is teaching, that's instructing. Now, oftentimes a pastor will be stronger in, in some of these others, in some of these areas than in other areas. And that's where it can often be beneficial for churches to bring on additional staff members. Uh, and sometimes they will call them pastors. Some churches will call them elders. They'll, they'll give them names like that. Uh, some, some will say, well, we have elders in our church or we have pastors in our church. And, and what are they saying? They're saying, listen, um, I would prefer to call, if we brought somebody on as a, as a staff uh, member as an assistant pastor, I'd prefer to call them a pastor rather than an elder. Why? Because an elder has a very specific thing, uh, <laughs> uh, realm of uh, direction of what they do. You know, an elder is a particular kind of leader uh, whose responsibilities include directing the church. Well, that is a role of a pastor, and I think an assistant pastor more encapsulates what somebody that would be on staff of a church could help with is um, somebody that could help in many of these different ways because it shouldn't be that somebody comes on and says, well, this is my one area that I do. Um, no, we should be growing. We should be you know, helping serving in multiple facets and, and growing in all of these areas. And as a pastor, I'm challenged by these that, listen, I should be fulfilling these, these roles of a, as a, of a bishop, of an elder, of a shepherd, of a preacher, uh, and a herald, of a teacher, an instructor. All of these things should be part of what a pastor does. It's not just one thing or the other thing or another thing. They're all encapsulated in, in what, a, a one, a, what the pastor should be doing, giving further definition to a pastor's rules. The next, uh, the next uh, uh, office that we find in the scriptures from 1 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, we find first of all the bishop or the pastor, but the second one that we find is the deacon, the deacon. And we find his, his qualifications right after uh, the pastor's qualifications. And verse number 8 says this, Likewise, 
Must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, or given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in, in a pure conscience? And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacon be husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. Uh, for they that have used the office of a deacon well to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we see uh, some of the qualifications, again, that are mentioned about the pastor are also mentioned for the deacon. And uh, these are important things. Now, what, what is a deacon? Well, a deacon is above all a servant. That's what a deacon is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a servant. The Greek word for deacon is, is diakonos. It means a leader in the church who is committed to serve God through meeting the needs of the church, characterized by a disposition of humility and self-sacrifice. Above everything, a deacon is supposed to be a servant, somebody that's serving others and, uh, and being a blessing and a help to the church. And the Bible gives very specific requirements to somebody that, is, that desires uh, to be a deacon, that is led to be a deacon. Um, and in our church, for somebody to be a deacon, uh, we have a meeting, we have a business meeting, and at that time we bring forward certain people that um, usually it'll, it'll start with recommendation from the pastor, and then uh, we will have a, we will vote as a church on those those people um, and the members of the church would vote on those people that would be qualified as a deacon and at that time then we would as a church elect deacons um, that would our church has not had deacons um, in in a long time and so uh, we I, I, in fact I, until last time we met I didn't think we had any uh, we never had deacons but apparently we've had one before um, so we've you know uh, we would I this is something that I think is very important it's something that Lord willing and within this next year we're going to be moving forward to, to voting our first deacons once you have deacons then at that point then the process changes slightly the pastor um, you know pastor would bring forward the recommendation of a deacon the deacons would then be able to within themselves make suggestions um, and be able to discuss um, and then from that then it would be brought to the church and then the church once again would have the final vote and say on who would be elected as a deacon we do have certain things in the constitution that stipulates some of the links of uh, somebody that can be a deacon how long they can be a deacon and then when they'd be up to be re elected, I guess you'd say, voted on again to, to become uh, the deacon again. And so, anyway, that's, that's some of those things. Now, the example that we find um, of a deacon, really, I think we have to go back to Acts chapter number 6. And so, if you want to flip over to Acts chapter number 6, um, we find a, a great example, and we find a reason, uh, a purpose for this. Why, 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 what is really the purpose of a, of a deacon? Why, why do this? Why have this, this role and why would God call them out and say, okay, here's these roles. Um, what, what, what are they supposed to fill? Well, I believe in, in Acts chapter number 6 we see the example. In Acts 6 it says, In those days, verse number 1, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Why? Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay, so what was happening? Well, uh, you had the, the disciples, the 12 disciples, right, that, uh, that were doing the work of the Lord. They were preaching and they were doing these things, and the church was growing exponentially. We've mentioned it before, but some believe the church at Jerusalem, before um, it was, went under persecution and, and really spread, um, they, they believe it could have been as, as large as twenty-five to 30,000 members. This was a large church. 
And here these men were trying to minister to them, and the Bible says that the widows were getting neglected, that this was something that was taking place. The widows were being neglected. So verse number two says, Then the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Okay, what is, what is this referring to? This is, this is simply, say, they're, they're simply pointing here and saying, Listen, uh, God has called us, to a specific purpose, you know, especially disciples, uh, the disciples, they were called as apostles at this time to proclaim the news of the gospel and to preach. And they looked and they said, listen, we aren't able to do both of these things well. We aren't able to serve and, and, and meet all the needs of these in our church and to be able to minister in this way all at the same time. We're not able to do this well. In fact, things are, the ball's getting dropped. Things are getting neglected. So they say in verse number three, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, uh, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, again, here, the, the, the congregation is the one that, that appointed these individuals. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. Stephen would go on to be the first martyr. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What's amazing is uh, once the uh, ministry expanded outside of the hands of just those disciples, just those 12 disciples, when the ministry expanded to others as well who were appointed by uh, by the multitude who were suggested by a smaller group and then ultimately appointed by the church or the, the, the rest of the multitude, when that took place, the ministry flourished, the Bible says. And that's why this is so important. This is why this is something that I believe here at Whitehall Baptist Church is, is a dire need. I believe that if our church is going to continue to move forward, this is an area that we need to step forward in. And we're going to be talking about this a lot uh, here, here in the coming months as we're going to be approaching the subject and praying about um, the Lord's leading in this as we pray about appointing some deacons in our church that can help in the ministry of, of, of the church so that we can see the church continue to go forward and we can meet the needs of those within our church, okay? So deacons are, of course, a vital part and role of the church. And I know that we're just scratching the surface, really, when it comes to the pastor, when it comes to deacons um, right, right now, um, and we can, we'll can we go deeper in them in, in the months ahead, but uh, this is just to give us an overview of the two offices that we find in the Scripture specifically uh, given to us by the Lord um, as offices within the church. And so that's important for us to see. All right, next, uh, next, next one. And we, I guess we're not going to make it super far again tonight, but we'll, we'll get to this one. Okay. Individual soul liberty. We'll get through a couple of these because the next couple ones we'll, we'll move through pretty quickly. Okay. Individual soul liberty. What is this? Well, every person is responsible for their own salvation and for their own actions. 
Okay, it's not, nobody, you can't get saved for somebody else. I can't go get baptized so that somebody else can get to heaven. Uh, my faith isn't going to get my kids to heaven. My parents' faith, uh, you know, isn't going to get me to heaven. And, you know, I, we can't get to heaven on the shirt tails and coattails of our family or a grandma that was close to the Lord. We have to have that faith for ourselves. Romans chapter number 14 says this in verse number 11, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then everyone of us shall give account of himself to God. Every person is going to give an account. Uh, the Bible also goes on and talks about one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to offer uh, to the Lord all these various works that we've done, right? And the Bible talks about how some of those works we're going to be uh, wood, hay, and stubble. And we're going to take those and we're going to put them before the Lord. And the Bible says they're going to burn up. And uh, he says, but others are going to give uh, uh, gold and silver and precious stones, the things that we've done for the Lord. And those things are going to become a crown that we're going to be able to give back at Jesus' feet. You say, Kyle, why is that important? Because every person is going to stand before God for that. Uh, the, it's not. It's not like you know. I'm going to stand. Uh, that that uh, I'm going to be able to stand before God with the whole congregation and all that we accomplish together. No, I'm going to stand for God for my life, not for anybody else. And we're talking outside of salvation. Yes, we'll stand for God for salvation, but also uh, for the works that we do, for the rewards that we receive, that we'll be able to give back to the Lord uh, to cast our crowns at His feet. Um, and those are all based upon the way that we live our life, the things that we do and the service that we give to the Lord. If we're living for the things of this earth or if we're living for the Lord and the Lord, you can mark it down, sees everything that we do, uh, the good and the bad. Next, we see saved baptized membership, a saved baptized membership. And this is obviously vital, okay, um, for, for a church. We think about the makeup of a church, what, well, who, who can, can be a, a part of the church. Well, it has to be a saved, baptized person. Why is this? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says this, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Lord willing, here in a couple of weeks we're actually going to preach uh, from this passage. But understand this, that if something is a body, for something to be part of a body, it has to be alive. Right? If something is not alive and it's dead, there's a problem, okay? It's going to fall off eventually, all right? Um, you can't take something that's dead and add it to your body, all right? It doesn't work like that. Uh, for something to be a part of the body, it has to be alive. And for somebody to be a part of the body of Christ, you have to be alive. And so therefore, to be a part of the church, you have to be alive. You have to be saved. You have to know Christ as your Savior. Uh, that's one of the first things. So that's why whenever we have our membership, we're going to, Lord willing, we'll have a membership video this, this coming Sunday. Uh, and we're going to sit down with somebody. I'm going to do a video with them on Saturday. And one of the questions I'm going to ask is, when were you saved? Why? Because we need to know it's important for somebody to become a part of the membership of a church, to be a member of a church, specifically, um, whenever it comes to the Baptist church and the independent Baptist distinctives, all this different stuff. Listen, it's, you have to be saved. Uh, that's vital. That's important. Um, now, not everybody that's a part of a, that is a member of a Baptist church is saved. <laughs> Uh, your uh, a church membership doesn't get you. I'm saying this for the people that are listening to this later. Uh, the uh, a saved being being a part of a, me a member of the church doesn't get you any closer.
to, uh, to getting to heaven than, than, uh, than uh, going and standing in the garage makes you a car. I mean, it just doesn't work, okay? Uh, saved, uh, being, being a member of a church uh, is a novelty thing, uh, but, but listen, it's, it has nothing to do with getting us saved. Now, for us to be a member of the church, we should be saved. Now, there are people that claim to be saved, uh, that join, join churches, um, but really what they are oftentimes is either wolves in sheep's clothing or they're just very confused um, and haven't gotten it settled and they're afraid uh, to actually make the make that statement, and I believe the truth is, as many churches are have many people that are like that, because the Bible says in Matthew chapter number seven that many are going to say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, and all the good works that they did, you know, we were church members, <laughs> and he's going to say, I don't know you, I never knew you. Um, our our previous pastor that was at our church, Kevin Kevin Turman, uh, was the music. Uh, pastor here at the church, music director. He was, um, uh, you know, married. He was a member. You know, he was doing all the all the service, all the stuff, um, and he wasn't saved. And you guys have, have no doubt heard the story before, but there he was traveling down the road at 55 miles an hour. Whenever the Lord said, "You aren't saved," you know, if something happened. If that car went off the road right now. You you would not go to heaven. And he prayed right then in, in his car and accepted Christ as a savior. And so um, there you have it, an unsaved serving staff member at Whitehall Baptist. Anyway, uh, that's, uh, but uh, that's, it doesn't get you any more saved just because you're a member. But to be a member, you have to be saved, have a testimony of salvation. Not only that, uh, but you have to be baptized. Uh, in Acts 2, verse number 41, that says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay? Baptism was an outward profession of an inward decision that they had made. It was a demonstration that they agreed and identified with the teachings of the Bible and specifically of that church. Uh, that, that's key. That's important. Um, this, this Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to have somebody that's going to get baptized for a second time. Now, why is that important? Well, because the first time they were a baby, okay? And so it just got sprinkled, all right? They just got wet. And uh, I was talking with them. I said, well, why, you know, why is this? Because baptism always in the Scripture, always, 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 every time follows salvation. and never precedes salvation. Whenever the Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch was riding in the chariot, he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can be baptized. Oh, okay. So he got saved, and then they went down to, into the water, and he got baptized. And so that's, that's important. So to be a part of a, of a church, what are you doing? You're identifying. You're, you're showing to everybody else, listen, I am identifying with Christ and with the beliefs of the Scriptures. In fact, did you know that we did not choose our name as Baptists? Isn't that interesting? We didn't choose it fact, we were given to that, that name by the Catholic Church. Thanks, Catholic Church. All right, so, no, what, where did it stem from? Well, we know way back, way, 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 way back in the day, uh, back in like the 1400s, the Catholic Church saw this group of people that were rebaptizing people. And they said, listen, you are against uh, being baptized whenever you're an infant, and so you are getting rebaptized, so you're an Anabaptist. All right, you're being rebaptized is what they said. And they call them Anabaptists. 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 Well, time went on and eventually the word Anna dropped off and we just became Baptists. 
Very interesting where that came from. But they are, you can actually find Anabaptists all the way back into the first, uh, like, 1100s. Even prior to that, you can find the name Anabaptists uh, throughout history uh, because it was a name that was given to them by the opposition, those that were opponents to uh, those that were followers and true followers of Christ. They were called Anabaptists. Why? Because they were rebaptized. And uh, interesting how that works. Uh, so whenever somebody joins the church, we ask them, are you saved? Give a testimony of their salvation. And when were you baptized? And they share their testimony of salvation. They share their testimony of baptism. If they, haven't, if they have been saved and they haven't been baptized, then we ask them to get baptized. If they were saved and were baptized as an infant, you know, air quotes for, for online, uh, they, they, uh, if they were baptized as an infant, uh, then we say, listen, you have to be baptized after your salvation because you're identifying not with baptism as your way of salvation. You're identifying with baptism as a way of identifying, saying, I believe what the Bible says, and that's why I'm being baptized, to demonstrate to everybody else that I have been saved and I am a follower of Christ. All right, well, hey, we are going to stop there tonight. Man, there's so much more that I wanted to get into tonight, but we'll we'll get to it next time. Okay, so we got we're almost there. We we we've got uh, we made it to the the second T, and so we got the next T, and then we got an S, and then we're gonna jump into um, some some things about that. Um, you know why is this important? And we'll wrap up. And I'm looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it tonight, but we'll hold off. I'm looking forward to getting to Hebrews chapter number 13 because specifically, Alice, I was thinking about some of the questions that you were asking. I think there's something very important in Hebrews chapter number 13 that we're going to look at um, because as a pastor, it weighs on me because the Bible tells tells us that as a pastor, I am going to give an account for the way that I lead our church. And that's a heavy weight. And we're going to talk about that, uh, Lord willing. Not next week, because next week is Missions Conference, but the week after that, Lord willing, we'll discuss that and finish that up. So let's pray, and then we'll open up uh, for, for just kind of discussing and discussing and, and talking and things as we, we wrap up tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work, the things that we've seen tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'd help these things to just continue to ruminate in our minds. May we dwell on them and think on them and just allow your word to continue to minister to us, and grow us, encourage us, challenge us. And help us, God, to know you in a deeper and more powerful and passionate way. We thank you, God, for, for what you've done for us. Thank you for the example of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for your word and, God, the opportunity to study. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.